Good morning. Good to see everybody here. Thank you, worship team, for leading us in worship, for joining our hearts together, worshiping God together. We're just uh, ordinary people here, praising God, aren't we? He's brought us together to be together. Let's pray before we look into today's sermon. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for Jesus Christ, for sending him, for him taking on all the punishment for our sins. And Lord, as we look into this new year and we talk about resolutions, Lord, we pray that uh, you would just guide us and get us, give us more insight into your word and who you are and what you desire of us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You know, as we embark upon a new year, I thought you might like to see some ways that other peoples around the world celebrate the coming new year, the arrival of a new year. New year. And I just kind of seen these. I, I, they think they're a couple of years old from where I found it, but they probably are still doing the same things. But in Ecuador, many citizens set fire to scarecrows filled with paper at midnight on New Year's Eve as well as burning any old photographs that hold bad memories of bad things that happened over the last 12 months. In Denmark, they throw unused plates that have been saved up throughout the year. It doesn't say if there's anything on these plates or anything. It says they throw them at the front doors of family and friends for good luck. And the more plates you find in the morning at your door, the more luck you'll have in the new year. I don't know who thought that one up. But on New Year's Eve in Japan, you'll hear the sound of 108 bells echoing through the streets. This Buddhist tradition is believed to banish human sins and bring good luck to all. Residents also believe it's good luck to enter the new year smiling or laughing. And in some South American countries, there is a superstition that the color of your underwear can determine what the new year will bring. <laughs> Red can bring you love, yellow can bring you wealth, and white can bring you peace. And then it says the Filipinos hope to bring prosperity and wealth by surrounding themselves with things on New Year's Eve. Coins and grapes are often used. And lastly, in Italy, people throw old furniture out the window to symbolize a fresh start to the new year. And they say, but you might be relieved to know that they limit the furniture to soft items like cushions and blankets, things that no longer bring them joy. Now, as attractive as those practices may seem, I would like to suggest that we start our new year by looking at some practices that will draw us closer to Jesus Christ and help us become more like him, you know, for our family, for our neighbors, for those outside the church. And, you know, today we really need to be followers of Jesus who impact our community, don't we? Who impact our world because our our nation is moving further and further away from God. 
and the darkness is increasing and we are moving toward chaos and the light of Christ is the answer, isn't it? It's the light of Christ. So I'd like to begin our series, this few week series, with looking into the importance of the Word of God in our Christian lives regularly, constantly. Now I mentioned at different times, you know, for you that have been here, that I grew up in a very wholesome family. All of us kids attended uh, religious schooling, and we would even have church services on certain days during the school week. And so some, in some grades, younger grades, we might go to have a church service two or three days out of the school week. But I knew almost nothing about the Bible. I heard stories of the Bible, but I almost knew nothing about what the Bible was all about. I was shocked later to find out how much I didn't know. But when I was led to Christ by a friend, and I became part of that group, and Laura was a part of that group, we got into the Bible. I mean, we got into the Bible, and what a difference that was. That was like a whole different world. And so I want to look at a handful of short passages that teach us things about the Word of God this morning. You know, we've been working through the book of Acts recently, and I just have a verse out of the book of Acts that I put here. And it says, and this is at the very beginning of the church, you know, after that feast of Pentecost where so many people came, you know, thousands came to the Lord. They were almost all Jews. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. This is the first days of the church. And the apostles were teaching the people the things that they had learned from Jesus. And of course, they would refer to the Old Testament passages in order to back up what was being said. But they devoted themselves daily, along with the fellowship, communion, and prayer, with the Word of God being foundational. Foundational part of their Christian you know, their element of their Christianity. And all through the apostolic age, the word of God was taught and it was spread throughout the world and it was revered. I mean, they held it very, very special in their hearts. And people were jailed and even killed for teaching it. Of course, that goes on today too, right? But that's what it was at the very beginning. Now I'd like to show you what the apostle Paul says the word of God does for the church. And even how that relates to the marriage between husbands and wives. It's in Ephesians chapter 5. It says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. Cleansing. And to present her to himself, you know, this is Jesus presenting the church to himself, as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife actually loves himself. So Christ loved the church so much, he gave himself up for her, 
you know, of course, referring to his death on the cross, and his willing sacrifice for his bride, the church, was to make her holy. As we look back, he loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. And then in verse 27 and 28 again, to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. And then we husbands are to take note of this as we also deal with our wives, as we also help our wives. Now just think of that. This is saying that the word of God is a cleansing agent for his people. And that is why I could have so much exposure in my growing up years with church rituals and church services, but never came to true faith and never really understand the word of God. It wasn't really a part of my upbringing. You know, I just said we just heard a few stories. But then when I began spending time with people who really loved God's word and spent time in God's word regularly and discipled me to spend time in God's word, that brought the cleansing. That's when major changes took place in my life. And that is the first stop, a very important stop, a very crucial step. But the Christian life is is allowing the word of God to penetrate us. It's not just accepting Christ as our Savior. That's the first step. That's the important step. But it teaches us also, the, the word of God teaches us to change and to be cleansed. And so it's daily time in the word of God, consistent time in the word of God, into our hearts that really makes a change in our lives. And I could see that so clearly because all my religious education didn't really do anything. We were wholesome, we were a wholesome family, but I knew nothing about salvation or Christ. And now we'll see what the word of God is able to do when we enter into spiritual battles. When Satan tries to trip us up, when he tries to deceive us with his lies, lies that sound good on the surface, the Bible says he uses schemes to trap us and to lead us into sin. And we know we see it even through the Bible how Satan uses schemes. But the Bible also teaches us to win against Satan. The Apostle Paul tells us about the armor we can receive from God to protect ourselves from Satan's lies. And now in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul talks about putting on the full armor of God in order to uh, fight the the wiles of Satan. He says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, Be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. You know, in 17 he said, take the helmet 
of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And he says, pray. So the Word of God is key in our ability to withstand the evil wiles of the devil. And so if we're going through life and we're going to church, but we're really not into the Word of God, you know, ourselves, boy, Satan will come at us and he'll attack us at our weakest point. And we won't... We have to have the Word of God going through our minds and our hearts. It has to be kind of flowing through us. That's one thing that I learned. And one major way of standing with withstanding Satan's attacks is to have it flowing through us, cleansing us, constantly teaching us, encouraging us, plus the fellowship. We really need to grow in love of God's word, don't we? <clears throat> you know, when I first trusted Christ, uh, it was very moving, you know, my salvation experience. And I've mentioned it before, but when, at the, the time that I decided I'm going to have to turn to Christ, I, I wrestled with it for a while. And it was a very moving experience. But when I went back to my friend and told him, there were two things I really wasn't very keen on as I was looking into, you know, living as a Christian. And they were just two things. One was going to church, and one was daily reading the Bible. I just wasn't too keen on that. <clears throat> because, you know, I didn't really know much about the Bible, and I'd gone to church all of my life, and that didn't do anything. But I soon learned from those two things that they were absolutely essential for my Christian life. And I'm so glad that God put me into the group that I began my Christian journey with. I see people that come to Christ and there's just nobody there for them. Or I find out about them and there's, there was nobody there for them. And I'm so glad that I got into this group of people who just loved the Word of God and met two or three times a week, you know, and we would talk to people at parks and things like that and be in the Word all the time and sing songs. And it made all the difference in the world because they led me down the right pathway at the beginning of my Christian life. So now I want to read a passage <clears throat> where a certain person uses the sword of the Spirit and... When I say he uses the sword of the Spirit, he really uses the sword of the Spirit, and, and it works. <clears throat> but we'll go through here. We already read this. Keep praying for all the Lord's people. And here's our passage. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. That's a... Slight statement, isn't it? The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, 
He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All of this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. Jesus knew the scriptures, didn't he? Jesus knew the scriptures, and he hid them in his heart, and they became part of his being. And he loved God's word and valued it as of highest importance. You know, he dealt with the religious leaders when he was 12 years old, and they were amazed at how much he understood it. So it became a part of his being, and he loved it, and he loved God. And he stood before the strongest enemy of truth and goodness, Satan, and the scriptures were his motivation and his guide and his weapon. The the scriptures strengthened him, strengthened his resolve. He put his trust completely in the scriptures, and he won the battle against the most vicious enemy that there could ever be. And he was in a weakened state. You know, Jesus is called the second Adam in the Bible. The first Adam succumbed to Satan's tactics of convincing he and Eve that God was not completely truthful when he told them about what they could have in the garden. Because God said, the day you eat of it, you will die. And Satan said, you won't die. God just doesn't want you to know everything that he knows. He just doesn't want you to get up to the same level he's at. He wants to keep you ignorant and weak and dependent. But you know, even in his weakened state, Jesus wasn't vulnerable because he had God's word in his heart. And not just, you know, memorizing a verse, but it was in his heart. And he trusted in it fully. And his top priority was to please God, not to see how much he could gain for himself. And that was the difference between the first, second Adam and the first Adam. So again, it's really the scriptures, isn't it? And you know, the scriptures were written by men through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, right? So this book is from the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit indwells us as we come to Christ. So what an advantage that we have, that we have the author living inside of us and the Holy Spirit, you know, inspiring this word so that we can put it into our minds and pray and ask the Holy Spirit to make it real in our lives. But it takes, excuse me, but what it takes is being in it regularly. You know, David says, your word have I hid in my heart so that I may not sin against you. 
So I guess what we have to ask is, what are we filling our minds with? And you know, it's never been harder, has it? Never been more difficult because look at all the media that we have. Everywhere, all the time, 24 hours a day, from all different kinds of, you know, uh, things that we own. So, what fills our minds? What have we hid in our hearts? Now, many of you know that one of the Apostle Paul's closest friends and partners in the faith was Timothy. And as Paul was in prison for the final time, you know, just before his execution, he wrote this to Timothy. It's in 2 Timothy chapter 3, 10 through 17. He says, You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. We've been reading through that in the book of Acts. The persecutions I endured, Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. <laughs> and when he rescued him, he still came out with bruises and bumps, didn't he? In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. <clears throat> you know, Paul is warning Timothy of how things bad can get if you follow Christ and if you take Christ's message to the world and to people. And he's telling him what he must do to be safe. And he just here told him just to, just to stick in there. But he says that the scriptures will make you wise for salvation and useful for teaching and even for rebuking, correcting, for leading, for helping, in order to be trained in righteousness, in order to be equipped for every good work. It's the word of God again. When we read the Bible, the scriptures are held in high esteem. They are useful for all of life. Satan hates them and would like to see us neglect them. And when we do, we make ourselves vulnerable. And isn't it something, <clears throat> you know, there are all kinds of religious books out there, aren't there, from different kinds of world religions? But the Bible is always the one they want to take and burn, collect and keep from people. It's the Bible, isn't it? Just shows you it's a spiritual battle, isn't it? Satan's there behind it. And he's leading these people. And they can say all kinds of things and teach all kinds of doctrines, but as soon as it's Christianity, it gets attacked. Now, we began this morning by talking about 
New Year's resolutions. And it seemed to me that as the body of Christ, we could probably do better than throwing plates at our neighbor's doorsteps or furniture out our windows or even wearing the right color of underwear. And I believe we found it by talking about putting the Word of God into our hearts and minds on a regular basis. You know, just so it just keeps flowing. Just so it it just keeps affecting us. Just so our minds are on it. And that's what was so amazing to me, being brought up in in religious education for 17 years. And I didn't even know John 3.16. And I've I've said this so many times, but the guy who led me to the Lord was playing a tape for me, cassette tape. And the the person speaking mentioned John 3.16. And then as he mentioned it, my friend started quoting it. And then the guy started saying it, and I thought, how did you know that? Do you know the Bible? I was so amazed that he knew a verse out of the Bible. I'd never heard it. But now I'd like to conclude by reading a passage from the book of Revelation. It's from chapter 19, verses 11 through 16. John the Apostle, you know, he's being shown these visions. He says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. This is toward the end of the book. With justice, he judges and wages war. It's Christ comes back to take take back his earth. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You know, John the Apostle called Jesus the Word. And here it says that he is, and it's the same person that's writing this. His name is the Word of God. And I'm thinking, what? You know, Jesus Christ, the all-glorious Savior and the one who loved us the most and was willing to sacrifice himself. And yet, he is called the Word of God. So how important is the Word of God in our lives? Both Jesus and the written Word. How important is that? And how much will that carry us? And how much will that affect us as we you know, reach into our world and talk to people? If we have the Word of God flowing through us. Let's pray.